through 6. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'll read verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. This song, we're, this is how we thank you. We just, we just say that with our lips. We, we thank you. Because you're good. Because you're better than we could ever imagine. Because you love us even though we don't deserve it. Because you've done all of this for us free of charge. So we just say thank you. Right now, just right where you're at, just tell them thank you. Thank you, Lord. We thank, I thank you that you love me. Thank you that you forgive me. I thank you that you saved me, that you sent Jesus for me. Lord, speak to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. We're back in our series in Ephesians. For those of you who are brand new with us and you weren't here when we were doing Ephesians in the summer, man, Ephesians is an incredible book. It is Paul the Apostles, it is probably, it, it is called by theologians the jewel of Paul's writing because he packs into this book all of the truths, all of, all of the goodness of the theology that is it, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, all of it in six chapters. And it's incredible and it's an, it's a, it's an amazing time for us to get into God's word and to see everything that he's done for us. I hope that you're excited about it because summer was crazy. I mean, it was a fun time. House churches were packed. This church was packed because everyone wanted to hear the truth that if we're honest, we don't really hear this stuff. You don't really hear this stuff in church. People don't really preach this stuff. And I want to make sure that you get it because this book changed my life. When I went to seminary and I learned this book, when my professor taught me this book, it absolutely changed my life. And I'm telling you, this book, you don't want to miss a single week. Every word matters. Every sentence. Life and death hangs on it, whether you believe it or not. We're going to break it down in, in what is called an exegetical sermon, meaning I'm going to preach this thing. I'm going to go word for word, and I promise you God wants to speak to you. So I hope you're excited about it. We're going to, we're going to try to go at least two to three weeks in chapter two alone, it's incredible. This chapter is full 
with so many truths that if you don't get it, you're going to go through this life confused. I don't want you to be confused. As your pastor, I want you to, to understand what God has for you. So I hope you're ready. Are you ready? Okay. I'm just trying to see, trying to wake you up. Because I know you were up watching Astros, right? I mean, I know you were. I was up watching Astros. All of us were up watching the Astros. I have a love-hate relationship with the Astros, to be honest. I love the Astros. That's my team. Put on for my city. Mattress Mac. I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, if, I mean, if someone was yelling at Mattress Mac in front of me, I mean, I might have to just step back into the flesh, y'all. I mean, Mattress Mac, he is a symbol of this city, of this community. You know what I'm saying? I just love Mattress Mac. I love this city. I love the Astros. But I have some, I have some bad memories when it comes to the Astros. Bad memories. One specifically. One day, me and my sister and my cousin Chris were going to an Astros game. And I think I was 21. I mean, I was young. And we were in the back. And look, we didn't look like we were up to any good. I had a black bandana on. My sister had nameplate earrings that are like this big. She had a big old nameplate thing here. My cousin Chris, if you, I mean, we just were up to no good. And we were in a rental car. Now listen, when you're in a rental car, you know you don't treat that car with any respect. Because it's not yours. It ain't yours. So I was driving this rental car on 290. And y'all, I was speeding. I mean, I was speeding bad. I mean, I had some music on. We were going to the Astros game. I mean, I was, I was going crazy. I didn't notice that a cop caught me on his radar. And this cop started following me. Now, listen, I'm not saying I was the smartest at this time, and I know I don't even know if you're going to want to come to this church anymore after I tell you what happened after I saw that cop's headlight, you know, his little lights going off. I started to try to evade him. I'm talking, I was switching four lanes I was trying to exit off of Mangum and come back on. I was, I mean, I was doing a little chase because I didn't want to get caught because I thought, oh, it's no big deal. He's going to give up because it's just me speeding. He's not going to want to catch up to me. Oh, but he caught up. And no matter how hard I tried to shake him, he caught up. He stopped me. He pulled me over. He had his hand on the gun. And here I am with a bandana on. I mean, I just look like I'm up to trouble. My sister looks like she's a Southwest Chola. It just looks bad. Black lipstick. It was crazy. She's not here. I can talk about her like that. <laughs> Police officers, do you know how fast you were going? I said, I don't know. You tell me. I am not kidding you. I don't know what was going on. I said, I don't know. You tell me. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the Astros game. He goes, you're going to the Astros game? Made, it, made me feel like I couldn't afford it. I said, I can afford tickets. He said, whose car is this? I said, it's a rental. He goes, they let 21-year-olds rent cars. I said, they let 18-year-olds vote for the president. I'm not joking. I don't know what was going on with me at that time. So let me tell you what he did. He arrested me on the spot. Let me tell you, just tell you what happened. I'm just going to cut to the chase. He pulled me out the car. He said, you just step out the car. He said, it's not just speeding I'm getting you for. He said, it's so much worse than that. You got two warrants out for your arrest. See, I caught you, you were speeding, and I was going to let you go, but I ran, I ran the plate, and I saw that it was a rental, and then I was going to let you go when I talked to you, but you talked to me all crazy, and then I got your license, and I saw that you have two warrants for arrest. Hey, I don't know if you know that it's worse than what you thought. 
See, you just thought I was catching you for speeding. And I was going to give you a ticket. I was going to let you go. No, you got warrants out for your arrest. It's worse than what you thought. Get up out of that car. Put these handcuffs on. You put you in the back seat of my car. He took me to jail. First time I've ever been to jail. Took me to jail. And jail was scary. Downtown Houston jail is scary. It was weird because it wasn't until I got into the holding pen that I realized just how bad it was. Just how bad it was. I mean, it was crazy. I don't even want to tell you the things that I saw in there, what was going on. I mean, we were fighting for toilet paper. There was one toilet right there. It was crazy. It, was, it, was, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I was like, why am I even here? I'm a good kid. I'm a good guy. Why am I even here? What I didn't realize is just how bad it was. The things that I had done, the things that I had failed to do, the, the laws that I had broken, the things that I didn't comply with made it so that I was supposed to go to jail. I had a warrant off for my arrest. And here I was just going about life, driving crazy in this car, going to the Astros game, about to have fun, when I had a warrant out for my arrest because I didn't really realize just how bad it was. Here's what I want to tell you about this next chapter of Ephesians, chapter 2. The beginning of chapter 2, the first, uh, first three verses, it's Paul telling us how bad it is. Paul wants you to know just how guilty you are, just how, just how bad your sin really is be, so that you can appreciate Jesus. Paul wants you to know it's worse than you think. And so many of us, we, you know, we think that church is no big deal and that Jesus is cool. We don't really realize all that he did to save us from. We don't really realize all that he did to pull us out of the, the mess that we were in. And Paul wants to expose us to the reality of how good Jesus is by, sh by showing us just how bad it was for us before we got to Jesus. Because whether you believe it or not, before you knew Jesus, it was bad for you. Before you knew Jesus, it was actually worse than what you thought it could be. And Paul wants to teach us that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what Paul says about you and me. Put that verse up. It says, and you, come on, point, point with me, and, and me, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Before you met Jesus, this is who you were. You were dead. Dead in, in your trespasses and sin. And I want you to see right there, he says, dead in your sins. If you were with us in chapter 1, we talked about position and how Paul uses words like in Christ. We are in him, in Christ, to, to show us our position, that you are in him. Once you meet Jesus, once you're saved, positionally, theologically, you are in him, you are a part of him. But now we're, we're, we're putting it in reverse, Terry. And we're seeing what we were before we met Jesus. We were dead in our sins. That's the position we're in. You may not understand this, but that's why church is so important, because we're here to help find people that are lost and who are dead in their sins. They don't know they need a Savior. They don't know how bad it is. 
They think it's okay to live this life crazily and not really worry about the consequences. And, and I don't believe that there is a God. I'm going to believe in these rocks and these stones. And I'm going to pray to this quartz. And that's what I'm going to do. They don't really know that they are dead in their sins. I don't know if you knew that before you met Jesus, biblically, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. What does that mean for you and for me that we have to come to grips with the reality of how bad it was? Paul says, you were dead. And I like how it says were, meaning past tense. Paul said, the minute you met Jesus, all this changed. And thank God for Jesus, because when we met Jesus, everything changed. Paul says, I know that you're saved, and I know that everything is, is going in the right direction now with your walk with Jesus, but I just need you to remember just how bad it was so that you can appreciate the goodness of God, appreciate the grace of God. And I wonder if us in, in our lives, if we should be reminded every once in a while just how bad it was and just how much he saved us from. I think it would change our life's perspective and how we live and how much we appreciate him and how much we sacrifice for him when we realize, man, I was dead in my transgressions. What is he trying to say here? There's a lot of theological debate. I'm going to tell you exactly what he means when he sees dead. Have you ever told somebody, you're dead to me? Oh, you're dead to me. What he's saying is that you, God, when he looked at you before he came to Jesus, he said, you're dead to me. I can't be around you. I can't have fellowship and relationship with you because of your sins. It gets so bad. He says, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is your position before you were with Jesus. What that word dead means is you were separated. You were disconnected from Jesus, disconnected from God. And he's saying, before you met Jesus, you weren't connected to him at all. And then he says, and these sins were ones that you formerly walked in, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. I'm just going to read this and give you a summary because it can get overwhelming. This is how you used to walk. Now, here's what I want to tell you, the reality of our lives. When you meet Jesus, it doesn't mean that you walk blamelessly anymore. Don't let people confuse you. When you meet Jesus, it's oftentimes that after you meet Jesus that you start making the most mistakes. Because if we're honest, we met Jesus probably in our teenage years, and our greatest mistakes happened after we met Jesus. What he's saying here is these sins that you used to walk in, that's how you used to live. Even though you still have sin now, God doesn't, God doesn't pay attention to that anymore. God completely disavows all knowledge of the way that you walk now because of Jesus. Because now you're in Jesus so when he's talking here, saying, and this is how you formerly walked, you might think, well, I currently walk that way. I currently am doing things I should not do. I currently am making mistakes. I currently don't get things right. So what does that mean? Does that mean that I am, I am stuck in my trespasses, that I am dead? No. It's because of Jesus you're not dead anymore. It's because of Jesus you've been saved and everything is new. And Paul is speaking to them, and he says, this is the way that you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Check out how bad it is. According to the prince of the power of the air. Listen, that is the devil. He's saying, you walked in the ways of the devil. 
He said, you may think that you just doing this here and there, making these mistakes ain't that bad. No, to God, you were walking hand in hand with the enemy himself. That it was before Jesus, your mistakes, even though that you might feel like they're not that great or not that incredibly, like, like I don't know how to explain it to you, uh, not that overwhelmingly great. Like, I didn't do, I didn't go to jail. I didn't make the, to God, when you sinned in any way before Jesus, you walked hand in hand with the devil. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. I want you to catch this. He uses the word sons here because he's saying this is a family thing. He said there is a family that lives a specific way, and they belong to the enemy. It's the enemy's family. He goes, these are now sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, Now, I like that. Paul says, I'm done telling you how bad you were. I was involved in that. Paul said, us, me, I was a part of it. Now, this is Paul, the apostle, the writer of the New Testament. He says, I was a part of that too. He says, this was my life too. He says, we, too, all formerly lived in the positional stuff. We were in this thing. This was our identity to God. Our, our position was living in these, in these lusts of our flesh. And listen to how, how he describes it. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. He is just being overly descriptive because he wants to be really honest with the way that we live our life and the mistakes that we make and the decisions that we make when it comes to sin. We indulge in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And then he says, and we were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. He says, let me tell you whose children you were. You were, you, were, you were children of wrath by nature. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen a three-year-old throw a temper tantrum? A two-year-old throw a temper tantrum. Let's, a one-year-old. Look, kids are cute, but kids can throw temper tantrums. Have you ever tried to tell a three-year-old to share something? Share this. What are they going to say? One word. Mine. Mine. Paul is saying, by nature, this is how we are. We're selfish. By nature, we're children of wrath. We make these mistakes and we do these things. He said, this is really, really bad. You were born a sinner. The book of Romans says that when you were born, you were born in sin because of Adam. Each and every one of us, none of us. None of us can escape it. Now, I know you're like, dang, like, I thought this was going to be a happy day. The Astros won. You know, I decided to come to church. Ain't no one else come to church, and he's telling me I was in sin. I'm not telling you you were. I want you to know how bad it was. I want you to know how, how bad it was because verse 4 is coming. He says, this is how bad it was. This is how you, how you can appreciate everything that Jesus did. You were by nature children of wrath. You lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now listen, I know some of you are like, man, I do that stuff now. I love how the Bible is telling us just because we do those things doesn't mean we're identified to God by the things that we do. We're not identified to God by the things that we do. We are not identified to God by who we're in, and we're in Christ. 
So what he's saying is this used to be you. It's not you anymore. And this is where we're going to get the good news. Because let me tell you something. Christianity should feel like my chains have fallen off, not I better not screw up. That's what Christianity should be. Christianity should be, my chains are off, I'm no longer living under this oppression, I'm no longer living under this sin and under these things that, I'm, that, I, am, that I am living in. I am set free and I am now his. So how does he do it? Let me, let me tell you like this, the first three verses are the prospects. These are the people that are prospects to be saved, the worst I love that about the Bible because what it's telling us is the worst of the worst, the ones who walk hand in hand with the devil himself, they are prospects to be saved. They are people that God wants to pursue. They are people that God wants to love on and save. At this point, I don't know why God would want to save these kinds of people, why God would want to save me, but the Bible is telling me that at my worst, in my most sinful state, he still wanted me. That in my life, whenever I make the most mistakes and when I am living in sin and doing things that I shouldn't do and I am pursuing things I shouldn't pursue, it is, it is still God's choice to love me. That's what he's trying to set up. He wants you to come to grips with the greatness of God's love. You are not worthy of it. I am not worthy of it. You and me, we live and indulge in the desires of our flesh and our mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, and yet he still loves us. Verse 4, but God. No matter how bad it is, these two words are are the hinge of the gospel. These two words show us that no matter how bad it can be, no matter how difficult your life is, no matter how bad you fail, but God. But God. This, this word, but God, why is this important? Listen, if, if you talk to your spouse and you say, you look good, but. You ever done that? Yeah, I heard some guys go, yeah, I don't know, man, it didn't go good for me. Why? You could say, hey, man, you look great, but I don't like your shoes. You look great, but I don't like your makeup. You look great. What what does that word but do? It cancels out everything that was said before. It cancels out everything that was said before. You could say all these great things, but as soon as you use the word but, everything and nothing matters. So here is Paul, and he uses this literary device. He says, I am going to tell you how bad it is, how difficult it is to love someone like me because we're constantly failing. Me and you, we're never doing things right. And yet, but God, canceling out all of the negativity and the struggle and the mistakes, but God being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy. Mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. But God. This is, this is, this is a verse that I, that I build my life on because I need it. But God being rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us. Paul, but it in. 
to let us know that no matter how bad it is, God is rich in mercy. God doesn't just have mercy, says he's rich in mercy. He has an abundance of it. His mercy has layer upon layer. He says he's rich in it, meaning he's bankrolling. He's got more than enough in the bank account, meaning he'll never, never use it all up. This is probably contrary to what you believe or what you've heard about God when it comes to our sin. But God, Paul is saying, is rich in mercy. He doesn't hold our past against us. Let me tell you what, what it means to be merciful. Being merciful means not receiving what you deserve. So this, this reality of who we were and, and, and what we did and, and all of that is erased because God is rich in mercy. The salvation that we get, how does God do it? It starts with his mercy. God is merciful to you and me. He doesn't give us what we deserve. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes, but God being rich in mercy and because of his great love. So how are we forgiven? How are we saved? How do we have hope in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of our failures? We can bank on the fact that God is rich in mercy and that he has great love for us. So here's what I'll tell you. Being forgiven Getting salvation and going to heaven, getting all that God has promised us has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your goodness, your works, your hustle, what you create, what you can get accomplished. It doesn't matter what kind of degree you have, how much money you have in the bank account, how often you go to church. The Bible says that our forgiveness doesn't come because you're worthy doesn't come because of your good works. It doesn't come because of your accomplishments. It doesn't come because of your degree and your success in life. He makes it clear that we can't do anything to deserve this because it says that this is all given to us because God is merciful and that he loves us. What he tells us is how great is God's love? It's so great that it was lavished on us even when we were dead in our sins. Even when we were dead in our sins. And I love what it's, how, how Paul uses descriptive words. He says, this, is, this kind of love is great. This, I, I'm gonna back, for, I'm gonna back up for a second before I get into this love. I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to tell you why you need to understand that he's, he's telling us all of this so that we can let go of our performance mentality. He focuses on the fact that we're saved because he loves us, because he's merciful, because he wants us. He, he, he focuses on our positional truth because if not, you'll just trust in your performance. Your position is much more important than your performance. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us. That your position in Christ is what gets you all of these things, not your performance. And so he says it's because of his mercy and his great love. His, what kind of love is it? Great love. Reminds me of a verse in John 3, 16. For God, what? Loved? So loved. Why do they add these little descriptive words to the love of God? Wouldn't it just be good? God loves you. 
God loves you. Because God is rich in mercy and because of his love, that's, that sounds good. Why, they're trying to draw a picture for us when it comes to the love of God, a love that we can't comprehend. He says, God's love is so incomprehensible, I got to explain it to you this way. I got to let you know that it is great love. Listen, it's rich mercy and great love. Great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He didn't just love the world. He didn't just love you. He so loves you. He doesn't just love you because of who you are. He so loves you because you're his child. He so loves you. He doesn't just give us, God doesn't give us Jesus because we're qualified or because we've done things that make us worthy. He gives us Jesus in salvation because we're loved. And you may feel that there's no way that God would love you this way because of the mistakes that you've made, because of the issues in your life. But this is what Paul is trying to teach us, that no matter how bad it is, there's a but God. Yeah, I've come from a broken home, but God. Yeah, my relationships aren't doing that well, but God. Yeah, but I've done some things I'm not proud of, but God. Yeah, I'm divorced, but God. This is the reality of who God is for us. There is a but God waiting for us behind every excuse that we have, every reason and every objection that you have to believe that God does not love you. This word says, but God, because he's rich in mercy and because of his great love with you. Because of that, because of that, he does something for us. Because of his mercy and because of his love, he does something for us. This is what he does. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. By, and then Paul gives us a sneak peek at the rest of the chapter, puts it in parentheses, by grace you have been saved. He can't hold it in. He wants us to know that this is, this is the, the apex of the way that we experience God's love. It's, it's not just because of his mercy. It's not just because of his love. It's because of his grace. See, mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Receiving what you don't deserve. So we have a God who doesn't punish us even though we deserve it because he's merciful. Then we have a God who gives us things we don't deserve because he's gracious. So the word says, he says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together. Check out these words. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him. He repeats together and with him three times. Do you remember what it said in the first verse that we were dead and that means that we were separated? So now he's saying this is what he does. He puts us back together. You once were separated and now because of Jesus, he puts you back together with Christ. You have you have this connection with Christ that can only come because of Jesus and because of what he did. It says, 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says, man, God has done so much for you. He's, he's made you alive. That's what he does. He, you once were dead and now you're alive. Why is this important? Because the gospel is not that God came to save you so that you could be better. God is not interested in you being a better version of yourself. He did not come to take bad people and turn them good. He came to take dead people and make them alive. That's what he did. This is what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to realize that he takes the bad person that is dead and he makes them alive. He wants us to realize none of your actions matter. It's not about what you can accomplish. It's not about your work. None of it. He is not here to make you a better version of yourself. He is here to take you from death and take you into life. That's why Jesus came, to make us alive with him. Made us alive together with Christ. And then he raises you up with him. Raises you. He doesn't just make you alive. He raises you up with him. Then it says, and he seats you with him in heavenly places. Now look. This is just, we're just going to get started into this chapter. This is a foundational thing. It's a foundational thing. There are so many things in here that I feel like are difficult for you and me to believe and to trust. So many things that are found in this that is hard to grasp. That he saves us and it's based on his mercy and his love only. Nothing that you do. Why, why is that hard? Because it's easier to believe that God is love than to believe that God loves me. Did you hear that? It's a lot easier to believe that God is love than to believe that God loves me. Because we are constantly looking at our sin, looking at our mistakes and saying there is no way that his love could do this for me. I just want you to understand that our rescue, our, our salvation is an expression of one-way love. It's God's work from start to finish. We've been chosen, graced, redeemed, rescued, adopted, and sealed because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that we have done. So listen, I just want you to know, becoming a better person is not, not what I want for you. Because becoming a better person doesn't help you. Becoming a better person doesn't help you. Because the Bible says you still have a sin nature and you still sin. And that that sin nature won't be gone until Jesus comes again. Becoming a better person, doing better things, is not what I want from you. I want you to live a life of someone who's been raised to life to live the life as someone who once was dead and now was alive. That's it. 
Because this is what we need to understand. We don't need to do better. I want you to do better. I want you to improve as your pastor. I don't want you to stay the way that you were. I want you to grow. That's sanctification. That's your walk with Jesus. You need to get better. But listen, we don't, as a church, need you to be better for the sake of that's our goal. No, what we need, what you need, is for someone to do for you what you could not do for yourselves. No matter how hard you try, Christianity, the wholeness of Christianity announces that Jesus has done it all for us and that Jesus did not come to make bad people good but to make dead people alive. So I'll end here. I mean, just quick. We're just, I mean, I'm sick. I, I feel like I'm a faint up here. But I wanted you to get this. Let's get the band up here. I felt I was, they were like, do you want to just have someone else preach? I'm like, no. I need to try and get this out. Because I don't know if you understand just how beautiful this narrative is. That, that you are, you once were dead and he made you alive. That no matter how bad it is, God stepped in. That he doesn't require you to be better because he's made you alive. I love that it says this at the end. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if you know anybody who went to the Astros game. I know a couple of people that went. And the, thing, the only thing I could think of is how much did those tickets cost? Right? You got that friend of yours that owes you $10, but they're at the Astros game. <laughs> Didn't I let that man borrow $50, and he's at the Astros game behind third base? I mean, what's going on? Not even in the standing room seats. He's in the good seat. Don't, don't I need to call this man? He owes me a little bit of bread. What's going on? I had a friend. He told me, he goes, man, I'm just, I'm just looking for one ticket. Why? Because it's cheaper. What do you mean? Seats that are single seats are cheaper. I said, what are you going to do about, about your wife? He goes, well, she's going to get her own seat somewhere. <laughs> I said, wait, 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 you're telling me you're willing to get two single seats because it's cheaper? Yeah, because it's more expensive, more expensive to sit together, to be with you. Yes or no? Those of you who bought tickets, it's absolutely true costs more money to buy two tickets together than to buy one single ticket because it's more expensive to sit with somebody. It costs more money. The price is a lot more. This scripture says to us that we get to sit with Jesus. If you don't get anything else, get this. This scripture says that you have a seat next to Jesus. And I don't know if you know this, but that costs something. It costs more to put two seats together. It costs a lot more. Let me tell you what it cost. The Bible says it cost his blood. The Bible said it cost him giving up his life. Why? So that you two could do what? sit together. I don't know if that makes you happy or not, but he loves you so much that he was willing to pay the price so that you two could be together and sit together. The Bible says 
and heavenly places. That's your position whether you believe it or not. You're on this earth. Things aren't going that well. Life is kind of hard. I know. I know what it's like for things not to go well, for things to be hard. The Bible says that's your condition. It's hard. It's difficult, stressful, anxious. You want to give up sometimes. But your position was paid for by Jesus. You are seated in heavenly places right now. And let me tell you something. No one can take that away from you. It's yours. And it's mine. No matter how much the cost kind of blows you away, this scripture said it's because he's rich. He's rich in mercy. He's got so much of it. There's nothing you could do that would forfeit your seat in heaven with him. He's rich in mercy, and he has great love. And because of that great love, you and I, we're not just here on this earth. We're in heaven. Our position is with him. Our lives are with him. And no matter how much we get into, no matter how much difficulty we face, no matter how crazy your story is, let me tell you something what happened to me in that jail cell. They were going to take me to county. It was worse than what I thought. They told me, tomorrow, you're going to put on these orange jumpsuit. You're going to county. Oh, I got scared. This big, tough guy from Greenspoint, all of a sudden, about to go to county. Got real nervous. Guess what I did? Called my mama. Called my dad. Hey, save me. Pull me out of this mess. Can you do something to get me out of here? My dad said, first off, quit calling me. This is a collect call. He said, but I'm going to get you out. We're going to go. We're going to go to Bell Bomb Place. We're going to pull you out. That morning I woke up right before. I was about to go to county. He said, Paez, your bell has been posted. I just want to remind you that God paid the price. No matter how bad it was, no matter how blind you are to the reality of your sin and the things that you've done, he paid the price to get you out of that cell. And that's why this Christian life should feel like chains falling off and not I got to do better. Because he paid the price so that our chains would fall and so that we could be saved. And if you don't know Jesus, now's the time. And if you haven't come into that relationship with him, let me tell you, you are dead in your sins. You are far off and you are in need of a savior. The price has been paid and it's available to you. And like it tells us in this chapter and in chapter one, all you have to do is believe. That's it. If you would just believe in him, he'd save you transfer you into heavenly places because he's rich in love, rich in mercy because of his great love. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Come on, stand up. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up.